everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. I had a brand new grandbaby this week, and this is my granddaughter and uh, my youngest son, John, and his wife, Taylor, had uh, Charlotte Noel. She was born on Monday, and we are just beside ourselves. Every time I get a new grandbaby, I learn a new lesson. And uh, I just thought, you know, with the last one, I didn't have any more love to give. I've got so much love for the ones I've got that there's none left over. And all of a sudden, Charlotte gets here, and I discover that I've got a deeper well of love than I ever knew and I just love her, and we are so grateful, and you're such a part of our family. I knew you'd want to see that, and if you don't want to see it, it doesn't matter. I wanted to show it to you anyway, and, and uh, if that's not enough, I've got other pictures I can share with you uh, after our time together today, but oh my goodness, what a great uh, experience that has been for us. Pray for uh, John and Taylor. They're going through all the normal stuff that you go through with a new one and trying to get adjusted and trying to get her to the place where she can uh, uh, get the food she needs and sleep and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and all they're going through right now is just the rewards of being a grandfather as because they call us and tell us about it. And, um, and we get to go to bed at night. And uh, I get to roll over and look at Tanya and say, you know what? I don't think we're going to be up all night long. We've done that. Been there, done that. And so I can just kind of say a little prayer for them and say, God, you give them grace. They'll be up all night long. And since you're up all night long, no sense in me staying up all night long. We'll just let them handle it. So God is good, and we're grateful for that wonderful privilege. Well, last time we were together, we started kind of a short series over the next few weeks um, that I have entitled uh, Vital Questions and um, kind of stemmed from an article that I read and, and some of the challenges that we face today. And the question that we looked at last week um, was the question, why can't I be happy? And I don't know uh, how many of you have asked that question. I bet most of us have at one point or another. Why can't I be happy? And last time we were together, we talked about the answer to that. And we looked at Psalm 1 that begins with the word happy. And in fact, the psalmist begins and gives to us kind of a, uh, a theme that you'll find in numerous places throughout the Psalms that deal with that issue of happiness. And one of the things I mentioned to you last week was this. I, I told you that the psalmist explains to us that those of us who know God, those of us who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, we have the ability to be happy at a level and in a way that those who do not know God don't. Now, even as I say that, I think it brings us to the next question that we asked today, because some of you heard that and you thought, okay, I am a child of God. I do love God. I am a believer. I've accepted Christ. And I heard everything you said last week, and I'm trying to put all that into practice. But you know what? I'm still just not happy. And so the question of the day is, what's wrong with me? Is it just me? I mean, it, it, there's got to be something wrong with me because, I mean, other people are happy. And, I, I mean, we see that on Facebook. Oh, my goodness. 
Everybody else is happy. I mean, they just got through showing us pictures of their kids who have been off to college and they take them to college and how proud they are of them and how wonderful it is. And their life is good. Their kids are obedient and they don't have any problem and they don't have any financial issues. I mean, they got enough money, obviously, to send their kids to college and put them in. And so there are so many people that are happy. Why is it that I'm the only one that struggles? Why is it that my kids aren't like that? Why is it that my house isn't like that? I had had a good friend once that that had kids, uh, you know, before Tanya and I had kids. And I asked him on one occasion, I said, hey, if you had to do it over again, would you have kids? And he said, yeah, just not the same ones. (laughs) Well, everybody else looks like they're having a great time. So the question comes, what's wrong with me? Is there something I'm missing? And you know what David says? There is something wrong with us. And he addresses how we can fix that. What I want us to do is look at the, uh, another psalm. And if you will turn with me to Psalm 32. And in Psalm 32, David begins Psalm 32 the same way he begins Psalm 1. With the word happy. Happy are those is the way he began Psalm 1. And he begins Psalm 32 with the same way, happy. Now, what's really interesting about this is he uses the word happy against the backdrop of what I refer to as one, I refer to as a raw psalm. Psalm 32 is raw. Man, this is tough. David's in a tough place. This psalm comes against the backdrop of his sin with Bathsheba. And, and murdering her husband and all that came from that. He tried to cover it up. He tried to hide it. He tried to pretend that it didn't happen. And he went through all of that, but it was eating him alive. The, the very fact of his decisions and, and his sin was destroying him. And, and so he came to a place where God confronted him with his sin. He finally dealt with it. And after dealing with it, He writes these words. So it's a very raw Psalm 32 as he walks through. And and this is what's interesting. What he does is he connects in this Psalm happiness with forgiveness. He says that happiness is connected to forgiveness. And he encourages us to learn from his experiences. Now, someone has said that a fool is a person who learns from their own mistakes, but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And we're all going to learn from our own mistakes, but if we're wise, we may discover that we don't have to make some mistakes because other people have made them. Other people have already done that. And if we learn from their mistakes, then we don't have to make those same mistakes. And so David is saying, hey, there are some lessons that I want you to learn from my experience, from from the challenges that I face, from the difficulty that I've encountered. And that's what he gives us in Psalm 32. So we're going to look at four different lessons that this psalm teaches us. Well, let's read it together. It might be one that is a little bit familiar to you. It's a wonderful psalm. How blessed, or that word blessed can be translated happy. And you can actually begin it by saying, happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy upon me and my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to him, pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or mule, which has no understanding, whose trappings include the bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. In the passage before us, I think there are numerous lessons that we can learn as we look at, at David and the life that he lived. But the first that I want to point out to you is this. David teaches us, number one, that to find happiness, we must be honest about our sin. Now, sometimes we don't make that connection. But David says, happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. In fact, he uses four different words for sin in the text before us. The first one that he uses is the word transgression. Transgression is doing what is forbidden. If, if, I, uh, if I walk to a piece of property and it says keep off private property and I step across the fence anyway, that is a transgression. Keep off the grass and you just step on it anyway, it's a transgression. Transgression means to do that which is forbidden. Now the word sin that he uses next the word sin means to fail to do what is required. It's the most common word in the Bible for our sin. And another way that it can be translated is this. It means to miss the mark. You and I are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when he uses that word, what it's saying is that we have missed the mark. The reason that every one of us will one day die separated from God is because we are sinners. And the mark is perfection. The only way you can go to heaven is to be perfect, but you have missed the mark. Some of you got closer than others, but we've all missed it, meaning that none of us are perfect. None of us will go to heaven because we are sinners. And only if someone outside comes and redeems and offers salvation for us, only if a savior comes, can we have salvation. And that's the story of the Bible. We are sinners. The word sin means to fail to do what is required. And then he uses the word iniquity. Iniquity means to pervert what is good. 
that God gives us so many things that are good and we have a way of perverting those things and that is iniquity. And then the last word he uses is deceit. The word deceit means to project what is false. Uh, the best description of deceit that I heard with regard to its use here was from a pastor who said uh, during a time that he pastored very much like most pastors in smaller churches when you've only got one back door it's kind of easy to do this you might remember growing up in a smaller church where at the end of the service a pastor would go to the back door and he'd greet people when you'd go out outside and he said that was my habit I would always go to the back door and greet people as they were leaving and 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 he said there was one lady in our church who was a high hypochondriac. And he said, man, every time you said to her, how are you doing? You're going to get a 30 minute lesson on all the things that are wrong with her. And he says, I, you know, just dread seeing her come because you just hold up the line and tell you all the things that are wrong. He said, and I figured out how to handle her. And so as she would come, he said, I would reach out my hand and I would grab her. And before she had a time to say anything, I would say, it is so good to see you. You look so good as I, you look so good today as I would just pull her on through and then grab the next person. And he said, and then I realized that I am a hypocrite to a hypochondriac. Well, that's what that word deceit means, you know? When I say, how are you doing? Well, I'm fine, everything's good. So he uses all of those words to describe our sin. And David said, listen, I have made a decision. I'm not gonna cover it up. Do you know when he says, I will not cover my sin? That's a reference all the way back to the book of Genesis. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned against God? After they sinned, what happened? They became aware of the fact that they were naked and they were ashamed, they were embarrassed. They hid themselves, they took fig leaves and they made a covering for themselves. And so God comes walking through the garden and he's looking for them and they're hiding. And God says, where are you? As if he doesn't know. And he says, where are you? And Adam and Eve finally kind of speak up as, as the question hangs in the air. And they finally said, we're, we're here. And he said, what's wrong? And he said, well, we, we hid because we were naked. We covered ourselves. And what did he say? Who told you you're naked? Did, wait, wait, wait a minute. Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? He confronted their sin, right? He didn't, he didn't beat around the bush. He comes right to it. He said, did you do what I told you not to do? He exposes them. But you know what happens after he exposes them? He covers them. After he exposes them in their sin, the Bible tells us that God kills an animal. The first death recorded in the Bible is at God's hand. He killed an animal and he took the skin of an animal and he made a covering for Adam and Eve. It's kind of a picture for the fact that God will make a covering for our sin. And then in the Old Testament, he instituted the, 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 the sacrificial system that we would send and there would be a, a, a sacrifice that was made for us. So he, he uncovers our sin in order that he might cover our sin. And David said, there was a time when I tried to cover my sin and pretend everything was all right and live the way I want to live. And man, I, I'm not happy. I'm miserable. I, I, life is, is horrible. And so there came a point when he says, I'm not going to cover it anymore. I'm going to expose it. And then that moment, God then covers it. He said, he has covered my sin. What, what he's saying is stop making excuses for your sin. 
We often have a way of, of, of trying to justify our sin. Well, uh, we offer reasons. Well, it's because of the situation I'm in. That's why I do the things I've done, or I've been treated badly, or I didn't have the opportunity that other people have, or I worked hard and I deserve this, or my wife is not sensitive to my needs, or my husband is not sensitive to my needs. And as a result of that, we make excuse for our sin and we continue to live in our sin. And we suffer the consequences. And you know what David says the consequences are? You'll never be happy that way. You can't. There's a reason when God, why God gives standards. There's a reason why God directs and, and, and leads. You've got to own it. David owned his sin. He finally came to the point where he said, it's me. Now, other people had sinned against him. But he basically came to the point where he said, you know what? This is me. I own it. These are my choices. And I want to tell you something. God's forgiveness begins where shifting the blame ends. And you're never going to be happy until you find forgiveness. And you're never going to find forgiveness until you admit to the areas of sin in your life and until you recognize that it's those areas of disobedience to God that are causing many of the challenges and problems that we have. And so we learn. Secondly, though, the lesson that he teaches is this. We've got to learn to hate the sin and not just the consequences of our sin. Now, I think this is a very important truth for us because David says in the text before us in verse 5, I will confess my transgressions. Now, the word confess in the Hebrew and Greek means something very different than in English. That's the reason why many of us confess our sins today. And, and we, might, we might say it this way. I, um, you know, if I've offended you, I'm sorry. Now, what you might actually be saying is, I'm not sorry for what I did. I'm just sorry that you were offended. What David does is he said, no, I, I confess. To confess means to agree with. It means to see things from God's perspective. It's to recognize that what he says is wrong is wrong. Not, not, not for me to, to, to make light of it. Not for me to make ease of it. It really speaks to an attitude about our sin. But so many of us, for confession literally means that, that, that I'm afraid of the consequences. I don't want to get caught. I don't want to get embarrassed. And the thing that kind of keeps me from doing the, the things that God says not to do really is that I don't want to get caught. And, and if that's the case, it's, there's no change in attitude about our sin. That's why he comes back and he says this, don't be like the mule who only responds to a bit and a bridle. He's not going to do what you tell him to do if you don't put the bit and bridle in his mouth. You're going to have a hard time getting him to come to you, probably. Where we grew up in Louisiana, my, my, my wife's um, dad, my Tanya's dad, was a coon hunter. Now, that's a, there, there are some really interesting stories I could tell you with that. But he had a mule. And he would, uh, he would hunt on this mule. 
And the reason he did is because mules can jump fences. And so you could just go down through the woods. And if you came up to a fence, he'd put a blanket over a fence. And the mule would get up next to the fence and jump over the fence. But he always had mules. And you know how hard-headed uh, mules are. And, and, and what, he, what David is referring to is the fact that, uh, that I saw quite often with my, my father-in-law's mule. You, you can scream all day long for the mule to come to the barn. He ain't coming. You got to go get him. And, and sometimes a bucket of feed might get him. Sometimes it might not. They're, they're, I mean, they're going to do what they want to do. But isn't it interesting when you put the bit in his mouth, suddenly you've made it uncomfortable enough that I'm going to do what you tell me to do. If you pull there, I'm going there because it hurts. And the psalmist is saying this, listen, don't live your life obedient to God because sin hurts or because there are consequences I don't, don't, don't be like the mule. Do what he wants to do because you love him. Live your life for God in a relationship with him that, that brings about an attitude against sin because sin breaks the heart of God. And if it breaks the heart of God, then I'm going to live the way God wants me to because I want to honor the one that I love. Don't do what God's asking just to avoid the consequences, but, but out of love. Have a heart attitude towards sin that will result in a change of behavior. Now, that's a third thing that we learn. We learn next that to find happiness, you've you got to change directions. It's not enough to just simply say, God, forgive me for what I have done. I'm sorry. I'm going to try better next time. No, we, we have to repent. To repent means I'm going to turn from that and I'm going to go in a different direction. And, and what David says is I'm going to move in a different direction. What you see in this psalm is a change of direction. It's true repentance. The, the psalmist has seen his sin from God's perspective. He's confessed it. He is, he, he's, he's talked and, and he has now moved in verse 11 to a newfound trust in God. He's discovered a new joy, a new surrender to God that I'm going to live and move in the direction that you call. It's not perfection. I've told you before, it is not the perfection, but the direction of our life. So what he is simply saying is that that I've turned from my sin as best I can. It doesn't mean that I don't sin anymore, but I turn from my sin so that when, whenever I sin again, the natural response is to always turn back to God and away from that so that I can live as you've called me to. Here's the key. Everything God tells you to do is for a purpose and a reason. And that purpose and a reason is always wrapped up in the fact that he loves you and he wants what's best for you. This is a parent who disciplines their child. And for a child, sometimes we don't understand why. But the reason we discipline our children, why, why is it? It's, it's because we want what's best for them. We want to try to keep them from avoiding those things. And so he brings him to a new place of surrender and the change of directions. God, I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. Not because it, the consequences are not because of what it does, but because of what it does to the heart of God. I want to have a relationship with you that I respond to you in love, not, not out of fear or consequence. 
And then the fourth thing that he does, and the fourth lesson that we can learn is that he says, to find happiness, we need to hide in God. In verse six and seven, he really talks about this. Let everyone who is godly pray to him while there is time. And, and then in verse seven, he says, you, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with a song of deliverance. So this is what he says. I'm going to run to God and confess my sin. But let me remind you of something. When you run to God and confess your sin, God doesn't just ignore your sin. He doesn't just brush it away. When you run to God and confess your sin, he defeats it. That's what happened in the book of Genesis in the slaying of an animal to pay the price for Adam and Eve's sin when they sinned and God killed an animal and made a covering for them. That's what happens in the Old Testament when the sacrificial system was introduced. That's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. The reason Jesus died on the cross is to pay the penalty for your sin so that your sin debt could be canceled so that you can confess your sin and God will receive your confession and offer to you forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for you. And then he says this, which is really incredible. You surround me with shouts or songs of deliverance. The word song can also be translated in some of your translations might say shouts of deliverance. I think what he is saying to us is this. Here's the lesson. We have a whole lot of voices inside and outside of our brain that condemn us. And the reason many of us are not happy is because we are being condemned by voices that we hear that tell us we are no good. We have never been any good. We will never be any good. And we listen to those voices and we allow those voices to be the loudest voices. And you know what David says? He said, listen to me. You, are surround, you surround me with the songs of deliverance. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. It is imperative that I learn to recognize your voice is louder than any other voice that speaks in my head. The way I come to the place where I embrace forgiveness and I'm able to move forward is to make a decision to listen to his voice. Now, he's not saying to ignore those voices. Sometimes those voices are, are, are correct. I am a sinner. But what he's saying is listen to my voice. And when you hear another voice say, you've messed up, you're no good, you hear my voice say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. When you hear a voice that says you will never amount to anything, you hear my voice when it says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a future and a hope and to use you for good and not evil. When you hear the voice saying, God will never forgive you for that, I want you to hear my voice louder that says, if you will confess your sin, I am faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The way we win with those voices is not to ignore them, it's not to argue with them, it's to drown them out with his voice.
I like what he says when he says, you surround me with the songs of deliverance. Have you ever, um, have you ever been in your car going somewhere, listening to the radio and, um, and the last song you hear is maybe a song that you don't particularly like, but you turn the car off and the song you hum all day long is that song you don't like. Have you ever done that? It's like, why am I singing this goofy song? I don't even like this song, but it's stuck in my head. It's because the last song, you, and you know what? I've discovered the only way to get rid of that song is to replace it with another one. Not until you begin to sing another song will you, and if you begin to sing another song, you'll replace that song and all of a sudden, the new song is the one you sing. And what he says is, I will sing over you. Don't listen to the voice in your mind. Listen to my voice. Let it be the voice that you respond to. Now, some of you are saying this. I know, I know, Pastor, and I hear all the things you're saying, but listen, I want to tell you something. I just can't forgive myself. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand where I've been. You don't, I, 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 I have tried. I just can't forgive myself. You know what you're saying? You're saying that your voice is louder than his. That's what you're saying. Or you're saying this, the voice of someone else is louder than his. The voice of your dad, the voice of your mom, the voice of your son, the voice of your daughter, the voice of a friend, the voice of someone who said something to you that you can't let go of is louder in your mind than his. And what David says is his voice has got to be louder. And what does his voice say? You are mine. It's kind of like the little boy that went to a hobby store one day and, and he saw a model boat that you could make out of wood. Man, he worked hard, sold papers, did everything he knew to do to make enough money to buy that model. And he finally bought it and he worked hard, it took him weeks to put that model boat together and he did it perfectly. Painted it, took time, and man, he, he did it so well and it was just perfect when he finished. And he took it down to the bay, not far from where he lived and, and, he, and he put it in the bay and he, he was just amazed when he put it in the water and he saw that it was balanced perfectly. And the little sails were just perfect. All of a sudden, a puff of wind came, and it just filled those sails, and it began to go. And he thought that was the prettiest thing I've ever seen in my life until he realized, uh-oh, it's going out. He did everything he could, throwing rocks to try to make it come back, but nothing he could do could bring it back. And the first moment he put it in the water, it was lost. Months later... He came by the same hobby shop, and to his absolute amazement, guess what was in the picture window? It was his boat, the one that he had built, the one that he made. And he runs in to that same shop, and he says, oh, my goodness, it's my boat. I, I, I bought the model from you, and I built the boat, and I made it, and, and, and it's mine, and I'm here. I can't believe you found it. And the owner of the shop said, no, no, that's not your boat but it's for sale. And if you want it, you can buy it. This is how much it cost. 
And the little boy walked out disappointed and did everything he could for weeks. He sold papers and did every little odd job he could do until he got enough money to buy the boat. And he went in there and he threw the money down on the counter and the man gave him the boat. And he holds it to himself and said, boat, you were mine one time because I made you. You are mine the next time because I bought you. I think that's what Jesus says. You're mine one time because I made you. But you're mine the next time because I bought you. And don't you forget that. Two things quickly and we're done. There's a warning in this text. You know what he says? You need to deal with this while you can. You need to confess your sin and clean this up while you can. Because there will come a day when God will say, fine. If you don't want my forgiveness, then I withdraw the offer. Grace has a deadline. Today's the day to deal with it. And then the test comes in the last verse when he says that he was glad in the Lord. I think the reason he was glad in the Lord was this. Jesus said it this way. To the one who is forgiven much, he loves much. When you and I come to the place where we understand just how much we are forgiven, we just love him more. And in the process, we may discover a secret that puts us on the path of the happiness that has been avoiding us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today, the opportunity to respond to its truth. Many of us in this room have asked that question, what's wrong with us? Maybe you have shown us today that what's wrong with us is wrong with everybody. We're sinners. Some of the reason that we're not happy is because of our life, not where it needs to be in our walk with you. And we keep thinking that we can continue to do what we're doing and you'll look the other way and you don't. And so today, I pray that we would learn to confess our sins so that we can find you faithful to forgive us and that we would learn to allow your voice to be the loudest voice in our ear so that we can walk in victory and in love and in grace and with an attitude change that enables us to to experience the joy, a deep joy that David experienced. Not perfection, but direction that moves us towards you. For those that are here that have never accepted you as Savior, today's the day that they can be forgiven and have that weight lifted. And I pray that they would make that decision for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.